Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Verse 9 says, uh, He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the called are the called. Now, this is a second call. This is not uh, a calling to uh, life. It is a calling to the feast. Showing an invitation uh, that the uh, that there's going to be a great feast day. Now, that's what Jesus promised uh, in the New Testament, you know, with reference to that many would come from the east and the west and north and the south, and they would sit down in the kingdom of God. In other words, it's a symbolic picture, a gesture of the eternal state uh, of Christ and uh, his people and of the redeemed. That there's going to be, there's nothing, uh, in the, in the Jewish thought, nothing portrayed, uh, the relationship of, uh, the redeemed as a marriage or as a feast, a festival. That was a day they, of course, they reclined around on one another's, uh, as the picture Bible talks about the bosom, John, you know, laying on his bosom. Well, now that was a, 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 it's a picture of contentment, it's a picture of delight, of perfect happiness, alright? And, and that's the uh, uh, description given here of the marriage feast. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings. Now, uh, you have no date given. And a wedding, why you always have a, you put out, send out a date, don't you? And you send out a place where it's going to occur, where it's going to take place. But here we have no wedding date given, no wedding place given. It just says, blessed are they that are called, see, to the wedding, to the marriage feast. But it, uh, doesn't tell you whether it's in heaven or on earth. But uh, I, I understand the Bible to teach that this will take place on, upon the earth, upon the renewed earth, and that we will, uh, as Revelation 21 and 22 describe. Uh, all right, he said these, uh, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Uh, and I, well... Uh, of course, there's no other kind of sayings of God, but true sayings. Um, what he's emphasizing is, these sayings are of God. They're God's sayings. They're God's words. And uh, I fell at his feet to worship him. Evidently, John, see now, when John, uh, back in verse 1, it says, And after these things, I heard a great voice. And it was sounded as a much people and so on. See, I mean, that's the way he described it. it uh, and uh, evidently, at first, he understood it. But the more that this uh, person talked, 
the more he thought that it was God. And uh, evidently, uh, in so doing, he fell at his feet to worship him. Uh, as verse 10 says, And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Is it what Jesus said about himself? Is it what Jesus claimed to be? Is it, is, is it the work uh, that uh, Christ did for us? Or is the uh, testimony of Jesus the uh, witness given to Jesus by the servants? Uh, now, if it's a first, you would call it uh, a subjective uh, uh, praise. Uh, but if it's the latter, uh, it's known as the uh, objective uh, uh, testimony uh, or praise. It's something that the children of God do, uh, the servants of God, attribute to Christ. In other words, they are saying uh, it's their faithfulness to Christ. Now, when John began the uh, writing, the book, he tells us that he was in, he was on the Isle of Patmos. See, because of the testimony and of the word of God, the gospel of God. Well, now, why was he there? Mr. Bullinger says that there were no such things as the seven churches of Asia Minor at the time that John went out on, uh, uh, was carried or went to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he tells us that he went there on a, uh, on an evangelistic tour. He went over there to preach. Now, did he go over there to preach? Did he go over there to receive uh, this message of the book of Revelation? Or did he go over there because he was preaching the gospel of Christ and was faithful to the word of God over in Ephesus, in Asia Minor? And was he driven to the uh, Isle of Patmos because of his faithfulness to the word of God? Now, that's the same thing we have here. It's the same language. Uh, how are you going to interpret it? Well, uh, I believe that he uh, went, was driven or taken as prisoner to uh, the Isle of Patmos because of the fact that he was actually preaching the gospel and telling, the, telling uh, all throughout Asia, the world, where the, there was emperor worship. Where people said, well, that Caesar is Lord. Well, I think John was saying that Jesus was Lord. And because of bearing his faithful testimony to Jesus. Now, that's the spirit of prophecy. In other words, that's what the prophecy wrote about. Prophesied. Prophecy spoke of that time. Uh, of the, uh, of the faithful witness, uh, to the Lord Jesus. Now, certainly, uh, Christ bore testimony to the to his faithfulness to the fact that he came to bear uh, to uh, to do the Lord's will uh, and if so well then that uh, uh, that's one thing uh, but then Jesus preaching about something see is uh, puts it in the active uh, sense 
The other is one that's born to. The other is buried. It's almost like active and passive uh, 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 voice, anything in that, uh, in that category. For the testimony, he says, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Now, what is the testimony of Jesus? He tells us there, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the words of God. Now, when Jesus uh, took the disciples uh, on the way to Emmaus, he took them aside and he started uh, opening up the scriptures concerning the things that was written concerning him. Where? In Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him. All right, now that's the spirit, that's the testimony of prophecy. See, that was what the prophet said. Right, now, when Jesus pointed out that that's what, uh, the, the, uh, that those words and those predictions concerned him, how that he must suffer, how that he would uh, uh, suffer and then die and rise again, why, that is what the later the disciples, uh, the apostles, were preaching. And that's why I think John was on the Isle of Patmos. He just preached it too long. He was just too faithful uh, to suit uh, the rulers uh, and the enemies at that time. And therefore, they put him on the Isle of Patmos. And after having been there, the Lord certainly revealed to him the book uh, of Revelation. Now, uh, when it says uh, the true sayings, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, it doesn't mean that just the things concerning the marriage of the Lamb. Certainly, the marriage of the Lamb are true sayings of God, what it said about it. But it, uh, but it includes uh, uh, the whole book. Uh, because uh, as far from, Gen- from Revelation 1 to here, uh, to the end, actually, because... Uh, this was given to John, and he had it all before he ever wrote it. See? Now, there was no question uh, that John uh, uh, wrote uh, a little, made notes here and there. But John was in vision seeing all of this. But after the vision passed, he wrote down by the inspiration of God what he had seen. And that's why we, that's how we have this book. Now, the book of Revelation was written to the churches, as you well know. And you know that chapters 4 through 18, uh, we have been, have been taken up with the tribulation, with trouble, with persecution, with trials, with judgments, uh, with, but now, uh, in chapter 19, we begin with the hallelujah course in heaven. Uh, people are shouting, they're rejoicing, because the judgments have been finished, you see. Now, if, according to dispensationalists, uh, the rapture takes place at chapter 4, and that the church is in heaven, and that uh, then it would have been uh, it looks like the writer devoted a lot, of, the, mo- the greater portion 
of the book of Revelation uh, in vain if it did not pertain to uh, the church. See, what they call the church to us, uh, and to us the church also, but we have different uh, meaning as to the same word. Now, uh, I point that out simply to to show that uh, uh, the part that we're fixing to deal with is going to show us. Uh, we're going to uh, study, and in our study here, we're going to find out when uh, this takes place. In other words, can the wedding, can the marriage supper take place uh, uh, before the resurrection? You've got to have the resurrection of the dead in Christ before you have a marriage. All right? We haven't come to the resurrection. Nowhere in the book of Revelation has there been any hint, any suggestion that the, that the righteous dead have been raised. All right? Verse 11 uh, begins a description uh, of the return of Christ to the earth. And yet, uh, it's not a detailed uh, uh, description, just as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, you have nothing said about the bride you, uh, other than how she was dressed. See, that she's made herself ready. She's... Uh, uh, she's uh, she's ready for the wedding, and that's all it was said about. But now, go that again, brother. Revelation chapter nineteen, verse eleven. I, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and shall uh, and he treadeth uh, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now here is a picture. Uh, according to Postmillennialists, this represents a symbolic representation of the conquering of the gospel as it's proclaimed. The uh, rider upon uh, the white horse are the ministers of God going forth proclaiming uh, the gospel of God until the whole world. This is to them a holy war. It's the war of righteousness against evil. But now, uh, of course, uh, I we don't believe there's much 
sympathy with that view today, but that was a prevailing view for um, for many years in America. Then uh, those uh, that uh, then the those that interpret the Bible symbolically uh, tells us that this is a battle of uh, righteousness against evil and the victory, the righteousness becoming being victorious. Uh, but any man, any person reading this uh, can see uh, that there is a description here of, uh, of uh, a great host in heaven following a leader. Now, many homilists tell you that this is a heavenly scene, that the uh, the big the white horse is is uh, uh, circling heaven, with the other horses uh, following that horse. That they don't come to the earth. That this is not a that the horse is not earthbound. Well, it doesn't say that he comes to the earth. Okay, this passage. That's true. And they say it's simply a, a John saw vision that takes place in heaven. Has nothing to do with the, with the world, with the earth. But it is simply a rejoicing, a victory that Christ has won and they're celebrating it in heaven. Now, uh, that's, uh, uh, to me a far-fetched interpretation. Uh, so, uh, what's, what's, certainly it's symbolic. Certainly, I don't believe that they are, uh, uh, necessarily white horses. Uh, that is, horses of, uh, uh like uh, people ride, or as that's concerned. It's a symbolic way, certainly, of portraying something that's real. It's portraying the coming of Christ. And uh, the his armies, his great heavenly host. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, if you explain the horse away uh, as being a a uh, a reality, something that is real, or the picture of a reality, then you've got to explain the reality of the person. Away, likewise, because uh, the per- here's someone on it, on the horse, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now it doesn't say that he uh, makes war with uh, uh, with ammunition, powder. Or with bow and arrow, or or with swords. The only sword that uh, that's mentioned in this passage is one that comes out of his mouth, which is the, his word. But uh, this is—he's certainly not uh, coming on a uh, on a peaceful mission right here. He's not describing something about, uh, 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 but he's to make war of some sort. His eyes were as a flame of fire. 
Now that's not a picture describing uh, a man that uh, fixing to talk about peace. You're not uh, presenting a, a love message here. But his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Well, now I don't think he had uh, had a stack of crowns that reached to the and that he was doing a balancing act with all of crowns upon top of there, see? No, I don't believe it's that. But the many crowns shows that he's victorious. He's conquering everything, every phase, every... He's Lord, he's King over all sorts of realms and every realm over which a crown is a symbol of. Many crowns. And he had on his... uh, And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Well, if no man knows it but him, ain't no use us trying to find out what it is. You know, you you tell me what it is, I can't tell you what it is. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. All right? Here's a vesture. Here's his clothing. Symbolic of the blood, his own blood, his own sacrificial blood, or it may have meaning with reference to the mission uh, on which he's come. The blood of the armies of this uh, of this world, in other words, showing that, that he's triumphed over in war, you see. The armies and his name is called the Word of God. Now, if if the name uh, that uh, in verse 12 is the same as the name in verse 13, well, then he's telling us what that name is, the Word of God. But now, uh, so at least he's identified these expressions uh, tell us that this person evidently is not an angel. I uh, the, the scripture says, describes him as uh, faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is the only holy war that will ever take place upon this earth. Every war that has, history has, described or known or unknown even to history has been a war uh, of uh, wickedness come from some evil sinful motive. But here is one who comes from heaven and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now this judge, the word judge, as uh, as we'll uh, see a little later, doesn't mean that he's going to stop and pass sentence on somebody, uh, and that's uh, that's authority of the judge. But uh, now, when when you read in the uh, book of Judges, talking about and so and so judged Israel, he judged Israel so so many years. 20 years, 30 years, or 42 years, or uh, or so. Well, now, that doesn't mean that he ha- had a court session 
And he held court for 42 years, you see. But that he reigned. But there were judicial decisions to be made during that reign, you see. And those were made. But it, it speaks of his uh, authority to, to reign. Now, you remember the uh, uh, verse 6 closed by saying, uh, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and yet he wasn't reigning. It's an announcement of his reign. He's now coming. What the, and we're, we're writing, we're now describing, he's describing what he saw in heaven. And, uh, uh, he, he sees, uh, this person who was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's, uh, uh, the John's favorite expression. In fact, he's the only one that uses that expression. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, see. And the Word became flesh. Uh, and, well, among us. Well, uh, so he says, And then, and the armies which were in heaven. Now, if you're a dispensationalist, you're going to say that these, that this armies consist of human beings. Uh, that it's the redeemed, that's the church. See? It's the raptured. But you'd, you'd have to say that these armies, that the armies in heaven would be confined to, uh, the people that are redeemed from Pentecost to the rapture. And then possibly heavenly hosts joining them. But the armies, uh, would, would consist, uh, and do consist, as far as the dispensation is concerned, to refer to the, uh, to the bride, to the lamb's wife. But now, uh, the Bible makes no, uh, gives no indication. Uh, and uh, it simply says that the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That means the heavenly hosts, a great innumerable number of angelic beings, as far, uh, as, far as I'm concerned, until I read where uh, man's inhabited heaven uh, and constitute uh the bride up there, well, then uh, I take it that any time I read of a heavenly host, a being in heaven, whether he be referred to as an elder or as a living creature uh, or as a cherubim or as an angel, it's an angelic being as far as I'm concerned. It's one that God created for heaven. Now then here, the angelic host come with the Lord uh, and I maintain that this is a picture of Christ coming from heaven to the earth. Uh, for uh, this verse and the next will uh, will indicate. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Now he's coming, he, he smites a nation. Well, now then, uh, it's certainly true that his word is powerful enough, at his will, he could from heaven say the word, and the armies of this earth would be 
completely destroyed. See? But, now that if you are a post-millennialist, you are saying that these armies are, uh, that this word is the word of God. It's a gospel that proceeds from his mouth. See? Uh, And that the armies are broadcast in that message and it conquers evil, the evil forces of the world. But now, this says that uh, he should smite the nations and rule them. Well, where are the nations? On earth, aren't they? Certainly, uh, uh, not even dispensationalists would admit that these nations are in heaven. All right? Uh, so, from his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Not one sword, not one word comes from the armies. Not a thing said about what the armies of heaven do. All they're doing, all it says here is, is they followed him. They're with him. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Uh, you just count the word flesh in verse 18. The flesh of kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and, uh, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now that, uh, that's a pretty good dish of meat, eh? And that's a rather, uh, 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 quite a mixture of meat. Now, this is an angelic, an angelic being cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven or in mid heaven. Now they, uh, they don't fly up in eternal, in the presence of God. That's not where they are. They're in the atmospheric heaven. It doesn't say that, but that's what it means, isn't it? In the mid-heaven, it said mid-heaven, in the Greek, actually, the original, not in the midst of heaven. They're not flying. It's not a, uh, but the, the realm of the fowls of the air is in the atmospheric heavens. If they get beyond that, well, of course, they couldn't live. Uh, but now he's calling to, uh, there's invitation. It's sent out, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Well now, uh, are they going to, uh, who, who are they going to eat? What are they going to eat? They're only going to eat what is slain by the sword that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I saw the beast and the army and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him 
that sat on the horse and against his army. All right now. Where are these people? What's the abode of the beast and the armies that are gathered together to make war against Christ? They're on the earth. It doesn't say they are, but that's where they are, isn't it? But now, what I'm trying to show you is how that the uh, the Am- the Amens and the post uh, postmens tell you that this is not a literal scene; that this doesn't have anything to do with the earth. But this is uh, certainly describing the object of the coming. The destination of the rider on the white horse is this earth. He's on his way. Uh, and this is the second coming of Christ. Now, this passage tells us, tells us nothing. This description says nothing about God's people. Describes. Now, when in 1 Thessalonians 4, it speaks only of God's people. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks only of the resurrection of the uh, of believers, children of God. Here, instead of uh, the uh, emphasis being on uh, what about the people of God, why uh, it's not mentioned yet, see? Not one word. But the Lord and the heavenly host proceed against the armies of the earth, the kings of the earth. Now, the Euphrates, under the seventh uh, bowl judgment, was dried up in order that the kings of the east might come against uh, the Lord, the son, uh, Jerusalem, and the Son of God. Now, he says, uh, uh, and the beast, and I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, however, uh, uh, now, notice, uh, it would appear, if you're not, uh, if you don't include all the uh, book of Revelation, it would appear that this is every king on earth and this is every army on earth and that everybody that's hostile to God is fixing to be killed. See? But now, uh, keep it in its context, in its setting. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now then, we have uh, the identity of the beast here, and the false prophet. It tells us that the beast was taken. Well, now, who, who is he? That's the one that's described in, in uh, the 13th chapter. So the, uh, he hadn't been killed. There was a lot of people uh, that died, all right, in the pre- in the past judgments. But the beast wasn't. The false prophet that made the image 
to this beast. He wasn't destroyed. And so, but now, he was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both, two persons, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, brother, they don't ever come out of there. There's no other judgment for these two persons. This is final. And the remnant, the remainder, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Now the fowls didn't get to eat them beasts, see. But now they get to eat the flesh of, uh, of these. Uh, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, <clears throat> now this remnant, this remainder, this rest, the rest of them are, uh, of the, th- these are soldiers, these are people that are masked in uh, militant array against the Son of God. So, uh, it doesn't describe the whole population of the earth, but it, uh, where the Lord appears when he returns against the armies of this earth. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.